Turn, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. If you're physically able, out of reverence for God's word, I would ask that you stand. I'm reading from the new NIV. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything... Everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving or a benediction, because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales, Rather, train yourself to be godly. Verse 8 is key. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Let's pray. Lord, we humble ourselves before you, and we ask that you would bless us in our understanding of these words. Help us, Lord, to be godly, to be useful. Help us, Lord, to obey your will and your way in the days ahead. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <coughs> Yosebia. Yosebia. That is the Greek word for godliness. Yosebia. Now, what does it mean to be godly? Isn't that a bad thing? Adam and Eve, when they were tempted, the serpent, Satan, said, If you eat this, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So why would somebody want to be godly if that's a bad thing? But all through 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, Paul is encouraging godliness. Eusebia, which means practical, religious living, devout living, holy living. It means day-to-day living the Christian life. Godliness is not something mystical. If you're godly, you don't get a halo that follows around you. Godliness is what Christianity looks like in a very practical way. I don't know if you saw this saying that deserves full acceptance, verse 9, 
I preached on another saying a couple weeks ago that deserves full acceptance. Here is another saying that deserves full acceptance. Here it is. Verse 8. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. Godliness. There's an ongoing discussion about pointless college majors. There are people graduating hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt with a degree from a university that is useless. I went online to find out the top 20 useless majors. I was surprised, and I don't necessarily agree with them. There's a couple maybe that ring true. Art history. A point where you get a... Now, don't get mad at me if you have any of these degrees. I'm just throwing out what Google says, and we all believe what's online. A liberal arts major in the humanities. What do you do with a humanities degree? Don't get any ideas, Alyssa. I know you want another degree. Gender studies. What do you do with a gender studies degree? The problem is somebody graduates with a degree that is useless, and then they try to get hired, and nobody wants to hire somebody with a useless degree. In fact, it's been suggested that if young people would instead become plumbers and electricians and HVAC people, then they would actually have a good paying job right away and avoid the indebtedness of a pointless degree. Now, not all degrees are pointless. Preaching degrees, those are remarkable. High demand for those. There is a problem. Students indebt themselves with a degree that doesn't work. That's a problem today. Of course, that wasn't a problem back then. But there was a different problem back then, and that was that there were Christians who had a faith that did not work. They believed the right stuff. Their belief was right, but their activity was godless. Godliness is having the right belief, but is living that right belief. What we understand with Paul is that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. If you have your Bibles, you can quickly turn to Ephesians chapter 6. This is an assumption that Paul has, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And he goes on to demonstrate that assumption in Timothy when he says the Spirit clearly says in later times some will abandon the faith. But here's the assumption that he has from Ephesians 6, 12. It goes like this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul believes, and we believe, that we are engaged right now in a battle, a spiritual battle, and that battle seeks to paralyze Christians. 
And here is how the enemy attacks us. We know what's right. We believe right. But we don't do what's right. Our, our activity, our actions are godless. How many people do you talk to who say, well, I know it's not right, but can you fill in the blank? Have you heard this before? This happens to me all the time as a preacher. I see somebody in the grocery store, I see somebody in the restaurant, hey, oh, it is so good to see you. I have not seen you in church for a long time. Where have you been? Oh, it's good to see you too. I sure have missed the church, Andrew, and I haven't been going to church. I know it's not right, but I haven't been going. Or when I conduct premarital counseling, in order for me to preside at somebody's wedding, I require premarital counseling, which is maybe a way to purge people who just want me. And I sit down with them. And if they're living together, I'll say, now, you're Christians. You're both Christians, and you're living together. You need to separate until the wedding and to build some anticipation and, and demonstrate your purity. It's going to be okay. You can survive these three months or eight months. And almost without fail, they'll say, Andrew, I, we know that it's not right. You see, how evil paralyzes Christians is not by attacking the belief system, but by attacking the behavior system. If the Obama administration said, we're making a new law, nobody is allowed to go to church, I guarantee you, the church would be busting at its seams. Nobody tells me I can't go to church. I'm going to church. But if the world and society says, hey, listen, go to church all you want. We don't mind. Then people say, well, I know it's not right, but I just can't seem to get up to go to church. Godlessness versus godliness. How many times we have prayer meetings and Christians say, oh, listen, I believe in prayer, but they never attend a prayer meeting. Now, if the presidential administration decided no more prayer meetings, we're not going to allow prayer meetings, I guarantee we bust in at the seams on prayer meetings because you don't tell me when to pray. But when we say we believe in praying and we pray all the time, well, I know it's not right. I believe in prayer, but I just can't. I think that's how evil attacks us. Not our beliefs, but our behaviors. And that's why Paul is encouraging godliness. You see, sometimes Christianity can be very theoretical. We could talk about all kinds of theoretical stuff, but when it comes to practice, that's when Christians fall short. Now, I'm in First and Second Timothy in this series, and Timothy was a young man who was ministering to a place called Ephesus. And in Ephesus, the Christians were paralyzed by controversies, by strange beliefs. 
And Paul told Timothy, listen, you need to set the example on how to be a Christian and how to live life. Don't get caught up in these old wives' tales or these genealogies or these weird controversies that people were indulging in. Don't get caught up in the things that paralyze you as a Christian, but instead you practice Yosebia. You practice godliness. That's the solution. I think that's still the solution today. I had to stop checking Twitter first thing in the morning. I would go and I would see the craziness of the world and it'd get me all worked up. And then I'd get angry and I'd start thinking things and it would ruin my whole morning just seeing the craziness of the world. Had all these strange thoughts. You know what? I can't believe. And I'm, it's all in my head. But it never manifests itself in godliness. It's like I want to engage in controversy as a distraction from good behavior. Godliness. That's what's going on in Timothy. You've got these people, these false teachers... These hypocrites, verse 2, these liars who aren't purposely lying. They're not purposely telling a mistruth. They are telling what they think is a truth. But Paul says these things are from demons. These things are from Satan. Now, what is the thing that these false teachers were teaching in Ephesus? They were teaching dualism. A dualism that says... Everything in creation, the human body, human relationships, food, those things are at their very nature sinful. They're evil. Sinful nature. So don't eat, don't touch, don't look, don't, 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 because the world is evil. But the spirit is good. It's, it's a form of Gnosticism that says, Get away from the flesh, get away from the body, but instead be spiritual. And so Paul corrects this when he writes Timothy by saying that everything, see verse 3, they forbid people to marry and abstain from certain foods, but verse 4, Paul says this, everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. Paul goes back to the very beginning with Genesis to say that God's creation is good. You remember that, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said that they're good. And when he created humans, right, men and women, what did God say about his creation of humanity? Very good. So at its most basic nature, God's creation is good and very good. And these false teachers were coming in and saying, no, no, that's not good. That's not good. That's, they were defining things in a negative sense to the extent that they were saying, don't even get married. Don't involve yourself in marriage because that is evil. Paul's like, no, no. Marry, eat. Enjoy God's creation. Some people have looked back upon this and said, oh, he's referring to the Catholic Church. 
Oh, he's not referring to the Catholic Church. He's writing to Timothy. Catholic Church didn't happen hundreds and hundreds of years later. Timothy's not going to be alive to correct the Catholic Church. What he's attacking here is he's attacking the idea that flesh is bad. I, we can do the same kind of thing. How many people have excused it? Well, listen, it's not my fault. It's just it's, it's my body wants it. I can't help it. No, it's not the body's fault. That's right from the devil. I love what he says. Verse 4, everything God creates good, nothing to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Another word there for thanksgiving is the word that we use for benediction. Have you been in the habit of giving thanks after you've eaten? Sometimes I get in the habit of praying before a meal and I thank God for the food. We went to Takamak a few days ago. We should have prayed beforehand. That was a bad praying for some kind of blessing over the food before I eat it. Not good. I love the picture here of a benediction at the end of the at the end of the thing that you've enjoyed. At the end of that meal. At the end of it, you say, Oh God, thank you for that wonderful food. Thank you for that wonderful hike. Thank you for that wonderful bike ride. Thank you for that wonderful sunset. A benediction of thanksgiving. Everything is good if it can be received with this benediction thanksgiving. Now, I mean, you know, if you're engaged in something sinful and you can't go to God and thank him for that, then that's a pretty, indi- pretty good indication, right, that, that you're involved in something that you shouldn't be. The reason I'm preaching on chapter 4 is because I believe that we, like Timothy, are living in the later times. So go back to chapter 4, verse 1 of 1 Timothy. It says this, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. The Greek here is not end times. Paul wasn't telling Timothy that he lives in the end times, even though I do believe that the first century Christians thought that Jesus was going to return in their lifetime. He uses the word later times. In other words, there are times and seasons, and Paul recognizes where Timothy lives is in later times. And I really think, as I look at this world, we are living in later times, if not the end times. So Paul's advice to Timothy is, when you live in later times or end times, this is how you should be godly. This is how you should be useful. Don't get caught up in old wives' tales and genealogies and stuff that paralyzes you. It keeps your mind active, but you don't live life, a godly life. But instead, you should be fully healthy in the relationship that you're in, in the place and society that you're in. 
We're not going to go through it all, but in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he talks about the role of husbands and wives. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, he talks about elders and deacons. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, he talks about widows. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he talks about slaves. In other words, he talks about every station of life, whether you're married, whether you're an old person, whether you're a church leader, whether you're a slave, this is how you live a godly life in whatever station you're in. Now, I know... I could go in here. There's some pretty harsh things about women, verse 11 of chapter 2, living in full submission or remaining quiet. And I'm not going to preach those things today. But if you just look even today in 2022, if you look at the Middle East, you know, there'll be CNN reporters that report and some parts of the Middle East and they've got to wear a head covering just to be a reporter in these areas. Now you can imagine the way it was 2,000 years ago. So Paul is not trying to say, hey, listen, we need to have slaves. We need women to, to be quiet. He's trying to address the issues that are going on in the Ephesus church. This is how you live a godly life if you're a woman, or if you're a man, or if you're an elder, or you're a deacon, or you're a widow, or you're a slave. This is how you be godly in that context. And I think that's the kind of conversation we should be having here at the Faithful Christian Church today. How should you be godly in high school? What's that look like? What does a godly life look like in high school? Not whether you believe the right things, but how do you practice what you believe among your high school peers? Or in college, when everybody parties, how do you live a godly life? Or at work, when everybody is looking out for themselves first, how do you live a godly life? Because I think that we put too much emphasis on the theoretical, how to think, what I think, what I believe, and very little emphasis on how I behave. Paul's concerned about living a godly life. And the crux of it is in verse 8. And that's what I want to leave you with today. Look at verse 8 again. For physical training is of some value. He's not telling Timothy to work out. He's not saying, Timothy, you're in bad shape. You need to start working out. That's some value. Paul says physical training is of some value. The Greek word there is gymnasia. You can hear gymnastics in that. But godliness, remember the word, Godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. How we live our Christian lives now, godliness, has promise for this world and the world to come. Now, how in the world is my living a godly life have anything to do with heaven? How is being godly today do anything for me in heaven? I, I, when I was a little kid and they used flannel graph, I was told that if I'm godly, I will get jewels in my crown. 
I'll get a crown, I'll get jewels. Some people have more jewels than some other people have less jewels. I just don't know if that's very exciting when the concrete in heaven is gold. You know, what's it matter if you have one jewel or ten jewels? The perspective here is that we Christians have entered a new way of living. Now check this out. If you're a Christian, your eternity has already begun. You're not waiting to die to go to heaven. You are already a child of God. You're already in. You're already part of the priesthood of believers. You're already part of the family of God. Your life today, on September 11th, 2022, is one step towards eternity. We're all part of a happy ending story. Did you know that? Today is another day in this wonderful story that's going to have a happy ending. Now listen, I know there's going to be some bad chapters in there. But at the end of the day, it's a happy ending. So therefore, we practice godliness, godliness now because we're a cut above. We're not better than people. We just recognize our place in the world as his children. Gail and I have been looking for things to watch on TV, and we scroll through Netflix. It gives me like the top 10 in America and things based on the previous things I've watched, and I don't know what all's on there. It, but we could never seem to find anything. And if we do find something that neither of us have watched, I want to make sure it has a happy ending. Because I'm not going to waste two and a half hours on something that's going to mess with me the rest of the night. I don't know how you are, but I'm just not going to do it. There are too many bad things in life to endure two and a half hours or an hour and a half or whatever of something that's going to mess with me in a negative way. But if it has a happy ending, now I think I might watch that because I want to be a part of a happy ending. I need that in my life. Listen. Godliness is how we make this world to be the happy ending that it is. Our godliness is a practice that only Christians do because we recognize we've been placed in a happy ending story. We're not stuck with genealogies and old wives' tales and weird things that paralyze us. We are practicing godliness because for the rest of our lives into eternity, we're going to be practicing godliness. We're doing it now as an act of faith because we're going to do it in the future. Godliness. We're living in the later times. There are all kinds of things seeking to paralyze us. And they're not attacking what we think or what we believe, they're attacking our behavior. And so Paul says, be faithful in your role in this world. If you're a woman, be faithful. If you're a man, be faithful. If you're a church leader, be faithful. Even if you're a slave, you be faithful. You love your master as a brother in the Lord and not take advantage of him. You live life faithfully now. You be godly now. 
because we're a part of a larger, happy story. And that's good news. We got a couple people who are nearing death, in my opinion. A couple people who are going through a sad chapter in their life. And that's, that's tough to see. And I'm not trying to be callous about this. I'm just going to come right out and say there's a happy ending for them. There's a happy ending for them, and there's a happy ending for us. We just got to live like it. Sad chapters are coming our way. But don't be defined by a sad chapter. Be defined by the happy ending story that we've joined into. And give that thanksgiving along the way. Let's pray.